Yesterday, I had the opportunity to go to Hopkinsville. Actually, we went on Friday night, stayed over with some friends, my youngest daughter and I did. And um, I heard that one of my dear friends in the congregation uh, had had his keys taken away. Uh, He's 93 years old. He stopped by the office every day. He's a World War II vet. He was injured in Metz right before the Battle of the Balls. He owned... Uh, a bowling alley, an ice cream shop, an insurance agency, and was a mailman for 30 years. Pretty unique guy. Uh, uh, he was uh, uh, just just a wonderful man. And as, as I sat there talking, and, and while I was there, I thought, you know, I'd hate to be this close and not to get to see him and, and hopefully be an encouragement to him. And he's always been an encouragement to me. And so I sat there and I talked to him. And he's one of the few men that I've met that I feel like has made progress his whole life. I, I can't imagine him ever talking about somebody bad. You know, and I thought, man, that's... And he just doesn't seem to worry. He lost his wife a year ago who he served. He loves her dearly. He, he choked up when he talked to her about her a little bit, but there was no anger at God. You know, and, and just such a beautiful man. And, and as I left, I thought, God, I pray that I would become more and more like him because he looks like you. You know, there's a line in that last song we sang that he calls us deeper still. You know, I want to challenge you as uh, people who love Jesus to, to make a commitment in your life that you're always wanting to take one more step forward toward what God wants for you. Just one more step forward. Maybe that's where you need to start today. Just one step Maybe for some of you, that step is uh, to, to give your heart and life to Jesus today because he is a good, good father, and he loves you. Maybe for others, that step is to say, you know, I, I, I've given my heart to Jesus, but I've never been baptized. Later in the next service, we're going to baptize two people who are going to show that we're taking that step toward Christ. Maybe that's where you're at. Uh, you know, maybe it's a holiness issue. You know, you, you've wrestled with this something for a long, long time, and it's time to say, Father, I know this is not what you want for me, and this is not your best for me, and I'll take a step forward, and I will, I'll, I'll leave that behind. I know I'm not a slave to sin anymore. You've set me free, and so I'm going to leave that behind, Father. Maybe, maybe it's a grudge or a wanting to get even. And the step for you today is to leave that in the past. I don't know what it is, but I pray that you'll recognize the goodness of the Father and that you will, that you will move closer to what he wants you to be. Um, that's what I want to do. And, and I, I want people to know how good the Father is. Uh, my kids doubt my goodness sometimes when I'm harsh. They do. They doubt my goodness when I use that two-letter cuss word in a teenager's life. You know what it is? No. You don't know? No, it's the word no, right. They, they doubt my goodness when, when I do that. They, uh, uh, you know, at times they get frustrated with my teaching methods. I understand. But I, I, I can guarantee you this. Their daddy loves them. and He loves them and wants good and best for them. And as much as I love my kids, the Bible says that compared to God, I'm evil. Me being a evil, I love my own kids and I give good gifts. How much more does your Father in heaven love you? And I want people to know about my Father's love. Uh, 
but, but sometimes I struggle figuring out how to share him with others. Any of y'all ever get there? You know, have you ever been talking with someone and either you or someone you were with started sharing your faith and the conversation started turning like awkward? I don't know about you, but I have like a really good awkward meter. I can tell when things are not right. Mine goes haywire sometimes in some of those conversations. And sometimes we've been sharing Jesus with folks, and it's just like the awkward meter goes crazy. You can tell you know, that the person that's being shared with is not listening, and they're checking out and would rather be anywhere than where they are. Or you know, have you ever felt like that conversation when it gets awkward was getting awkward because of the person doing the sharing? You know, that the... You know, maybe, maybe just something didn't feel right. They seemed rude, or, or maybe they seemed embarrassed. Well, I need to tell you about or, or Or maybe they, they wanted to argue and prove their point, and just, I want you to believe because I believe, and I'm going to prove my point to you. Have you ever been with a person like that when they were sharing, and it just something felt wrong? Boy, I, have you ever met a pushy Christian? Ugh, I have. Uh, I was sharing one time, and a friend of mine was with me, and I think we were at like a Baptist convention, and a lot of times they'll tag going out and sharing with people in those conventions, and we were out sharing together. And man, this guy started sharing Jesus, but then his eyes started bulging, and his teeth started showing, and spit started flying. And, and I didn't know if he wanted them to accept Jesus or he wanted to put them in a headlock. I wasn't sure exactly what he wanted out of that conversation, but... But boy, it's encounters like this that cause a knee-jerk reaction in me. Uh, you know, and I, I make my mind up, I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, and, and by the way, if you've ever experienced a person like that, I am so sorry. You know, we have a good, good father who loves you. He loves you and the mess you've made and the failure you've been. and the, He loves you. And, but our problem is, is we've experienced these type of folks so often or heard friends talk about them that we've made our mind up, I'm not going to be like that. I, now, I've made my mind up. I'm not going to be like that guy. And, and what we think is that not sharing at all is better than being like that guy. But this poses this huge problem. Before Jesus left the earth, he... He commanded his disciples, you're to be my witness. You are to be witnesses of what I've done. In Acts chapter 1, it's where we're going to spend the majority of our time, a verse you probably know well. It says, and you, Jesus, last instruction to the disciples, and you will be my witnesses here on earth. Now, when I hear the word witness, several things come into my mind. If I weren't in church context when I hear the word witness... It has nothing to do with sharing about Jesus. It has something to do with raising your right hand and pledging to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Have any of y'all ever had to testify? Any of y'all? It's a, it's a spooky thing to have to go in and, and testify. I've only had to do this a couple of times when you're the preacher. Here's what happens to you a lot of times. You get drugged into court in custody cases. Ooh, that's a bad, bad deal and a bad place to be. Well, I've, a couple of times I've been pulled in, and a couple years ago, the last time I had to go, 
I was just a nervous cat, and I don't know why I was nervous. I thought maybe I'm going to say something wrong and I'm going to mess this kid's life up or maybe I'm not going to be believable and they won't believe what, what, what's going on here or maybe this friend of mine who's innocent is going to get thrown in jail because of what I say or something like that. That's kind of what, like where I was thinking. But then I, I calmed down when I got in there because I realized all I got to do is tell what I know, tell the truth, and tell what I know. That's it. See, that's what witnesses do. They simply tell what they know. And spiritually, that's what we have to do as Jesus' witnesses. We have to simply tell what we know to be the truth. And the reason that we can be a witness and testify of this good, good Father and testify of His love for us is because we've known that love and we know Him personally. See, that's what a witness is. A witness is somebody who has firsthand knowledge. Uh, I went to Hopkinsville, and while I was there, I played golf with a friend of mine. He turned 50 just recently, and I've, always, I've been telling him he was 50 for about 10 years. And he just turned 50 in March, and his wife got him for uh, his uh, birthday tickets. Does anybody know where this is? Where is this? Augusta National what hole, by the way? Hole 12. You and I get to go play golf sometime, all right? Here we go. All right. You win the ticket to buy me tickets to Augusta, all right? <laughs> Fantastic. But, but this is Augusta. What I told my friend is I said, when you get there, I want you to take a few pictures, and I want you to send them to me because I want to see what you think it looks like. And then I want you to call me and tell me about your experience. Because on TV, you know, I know they cue the birds. And I know that they, they pipe in the sunshine through the cameras and all that stuff. But I want to know, is it really as nice as it seems to be? That's what I want to know. And I think he's going to be able to tell me how come he's going to be there. He's going Wednesday and he's going to be there till Friday. I thought, man... Your wife must really love you. But anyhow, <laughs> what a gift. His perspective, though, is going to be personal. And I love this, this fact. I'm, I'm not a door-to-door salesperson as a preacher or a Christian. I'm not a lawyer who has to defend God because he's melting in our society. I'm, a, I'm not a doctor who has to fix people's problems who are in front of me. And I'm definitely not the judge who has to sit in condemnation of other people. That's not my role. Jesus just said, I want you to go out and tell people about me. Tell them how good I am. Tell them that I'm alive. Tell them that I'm real. Now, who are to be the witnesses? In this passage, it says, and you will be my witnesses. Now, the big question in this passage is, who are the you? That's a fair question. He's talking to the disciples right before he ascends to heaven. And some people have said that the, that the disciples were the ones directly referenced. And there's an argument that says, you know, that, that only the apostles have the real authority to go and witness and and this is a common theme that's been seen throughout most of the history of the Catholic Church, that evangelization is only to be done at the direction of the church. Now, I want to say we can't throw rocks, because while Protestants would never say that, that's the way we act, because whose job in a Baptist church is it to share? Preachers. Maybe deacons. You know, that's... Oh, we would never say that, but that's the way we act. You know, that's your job, preacher. 
Hey, preacher, this person wants to know about Jesus. Would you tell them? Hey, preacher, would you help them out here? They want to know. That's the way we act. So we can't throw rocks at, at anyone else, but witnessing isn't everybody's job. Witnessing of God's activity is everyone's task. We're all to be witnesses of what God has done. And we, and we know that. Listen, this is nothing you've not heard. But we also all know that something that's everybody's job usually becomes somebody else's job. And that means that nobody ends up doing it. Right? You know, and this is what happens far too often when it comes to telling of God's goodness. And I want to get this through to you. If you believe in Jesus and you believe that he rose from the dead, if you believe he's the way to heaven and you believe that, that, that you are a Christian, you're it. You're the you. It is, it is our job. It is our job to tell what we know. And you might be saying, but Nick, I don't know if I can do this. I, I'm not sure I, I can witness. And I understand this sentiment. You would think that talking to people about Jesus is the easiest thing in the world for me. And I want to tell you, it is on Sunday. But it's just as tough for me when I leave these doors as it is for you. I, 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 share all, you know, I share all the time, and I talk with people all the time. But when I go out, when people are in here, they expect me to talk about Jesus. That's why they come here. They bring their little kids up and say, talk to them about Jesus. They come and say, my world's falling apart, and they expect me to talk about Jesus. It's easy in here, but when I get out there, my Y'all remember that? It goes crazy, just like y'all's does. Why? I'm partially because I don't want to seem like I'm judging folks. You know? Uh, partially because I know everybody in the world's busy. I know, you know, when people corner me and want to talk to me for a long time, I know, you know. Partially, I don't want them to not like me. What if they don't like me? But guys, just because I have those feelings like y'all, that doesn't mean I get to say, well, I share Jesus all the time in church, so that's all that matters. It is my job when I leave this place to be a, a faithful witness. Um, have you ever been asked to do something that you com felt completely inadequate and unequipped to do? Boy, I have. I, 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 a few years ago, uh, our church was going to Camp Schaefer Baptist Camp, which is a Baptist camp owned by the Davis County Baptist Association, and we were a uh, great place in my life. Uh, Lord spoke to me throughout my late teenage years there. Great time in my life. So when they needed help, I led our church to go help them, and they needed a new roof on the fellowship hall. Well, what happens on a lot of church days, on, uh, and they wanted to do it on a Tuesday morning. Weather broke, need to get it done now. What happens on a lot of these work days on Tuesday mornings is you had the preacher and then a bunch of seasoned saints. Was that politically correct? All right. You had one strong back and other strong pointers. <laughs> and when it came time for somebody to get up on the roof, everybody looked around. They said, Nick, won't you get up there and lay out some black paper and 
pop some lines and get us started. And then come down and pack the shingles up the steps. <laughs> That's what they said. Well, I didn't want to look like I didn't know anything, but I want to confess to you, I, I, I can't fix a thing. I mean, my wife fixes everything around our house. It's the truth. She's the most mechanical-minded person I've ever met. I'm not. I'm not at all. You want me to balance the balance sheet? I can do that. You want me to solve a problem? I want to do that. You want me to drive a nail in that wall? It's probably going to miss somehow. <laughs> you know, just it is what it is. But they told me to go up here on the, problem, on the roof, and there's this one huge problem. I can't change a light bulb without assistance, so what am I going to do? I had to confess, I don't have the power to pull this off. But God doesn't do that to you when he tells you to go and witness. He gives you the power to pull off what you need to do. He doesn't tell you to witness and leave you unprepared. He gives you everything you need to do the task. When God calls you to a task, I guarantee you he will empower you to do that task. And the power for witnessing doesn't come through your Sunday school class, and it doesn't come through training sessions, and it doesn't come through a conference that you go to, or it doesn't even come through a set method you use. The power for witnessing of how good God is comes from the Holy Spirit, which he has placed inside of you. Now, I want to take a time out just for a second, and I want to give you a little Baptist lesson on what we believe about the Holy Spirit. If you're from a different place, let me tell you kind of what we believe about the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that there's one God, and he's revealed himself in three persons. We call this the Trinity. You don't look that up in your concordance or in the back of your Bible. You're not going to find it. That word's not in the Bible, but the concepts on every page where God is one God and yet he reveals himself in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We talk about it this way. He is the three-in-one God. You know, one God, three distinct persons and personalities. Now, I don't understand that completely and people have used analogy after analogy to try to figure this three-in-one God out. Here's the best way I've ever heard it explained and I think it's natural for it to be seen in man's makeup. God is three in one, just like I am a husband, I am a father, and I am a son. God, uh, one being, and yet three distinct personalities in that being, completely connected at all, at all times, and yet my daughter never looks at me as a husband. She sees me as a distinct personality, as her dad. My parents never think of, well, they do sometimes think of me as a father because my dad says, you need to be a better father. But anyhow, my, but, but most of the time, they see me as their son, and my wife, she sees me primarily as husband. You know, so it's not perfect, and that falls apart, but when you start trying to think of three in one, and the Bible says God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, I understand it gets confusing, but there's one thing that I know that I can say for sure, and that is that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. Um, now, God says, I'm going to put my self, my spirit, into you. So that you can do the one task that I have given you. You can be my witness. Now it's interesting, as you read this passage, it's obvious that in Acts 1 they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. It says, but you will receive power. What's that mean? It hadn't happened yet. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now you might think, well, wait a minute, how does this work? Well, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come for a season and then he would leave. 
You read the story of Samson in the book of Judges, and it's illustrated perfectly here. The Bible says in Judges 13, 25, that the Spirit of the Lord began to direct him uh, at a certain point in his life. But then later on in his life, in Judges 16, the, but he did not know that the Spirit, the Lord, had left him. Now, I don't understand this completely. We don't live in this time. But I believe that because of the presence of sin in Samson's life, that, that the Holy Spirit would come and go. And you might say, well, I don't get that. Well, they weren't permanently covered in the blood of Jesus like we are. I'm righteous with God not because I'm good. I'm righteous with God because of what Christ has done. I stand holy before God not because I'm worthy. I stand holy before God because his sacrifice is adequate. And so God does not live where sin is. And so why can he live with me all the time? Because in God's eyes, I am eternally covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit can reside with me in a way that he couldn't reside with the Old Testament saints who lived between trips to the temple to make sacrifice. So, so I have this permanent presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is the way the Spirit operated up till Jesus. And even when Jesus was on earth, uh, this is the way that the Holy Spirit would operate. But it wouldn't be this way always. Jesus spoke of a day when the Holy Spirit would come. Listen, John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. Capital C, notice that. He will give you another one. A counselor who will be with you forever. Verse 26 of this same chapter says, but the counselor, and he clarifies here, who is the Holy Spirit, the father, the good father, because he knows what you need and he knows the power you need, the father will send him in my name and he will teach you all things and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. Now one question that people have a lot of times when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is this, if Jesus rose from the dead, if he really wanted everybody to believe, why didn't he just stay alive for like 2,000 years on earth? He lives forevermore. But why didn't he just roam around, kind of zip in from place to place? Why didn't he just do that if he wanted everybody to believe? Well, Jesus said why he didn't do that. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Um, Jesus said, I'm leaving so that when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and indwell believers' hearts. So for 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was with the disciples and he reminded the disciples, the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. Uh, he says, John baptized with water, but you're going to get it. You're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and he's going to live inside of you. Then Jesus ascends up to heaven, and ten days later, he sends the Holy Spirit. And the first disciples received the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And for them and a few others early on in Christianity, they would have faith in Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit would come. But for us, and everyone, I think, since about midway through the book of Acts, we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment we're saved. Paul clarifies this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, when you heard the the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you already have the power to pull off what God wants you to do. The Holy Spirit is in you. 
Now, this is not run through a brick wall power faster than a before the meal prayer power, able to leave, leap small stacks of Bible power. You know, this is, you will be able to be my witness and do what I want you to do. Type of power. The power to live out God's commands. The power to witness. You have that power. Now, if you come to church here regularly, and you've heard me preach more than four or five times, you know I talk a lot more about my weakness than I do about my power. My struggles. I talk about those moments. I talk about moments. Because I, I, I emphasize my weakness because I want to remind you, I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of the salvation that I've obtained. I, I, I'm as dependent upon God as any person anywhere on this planet. But I don't want you to forget, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God lives in you. And you have incredible power. You have the power to help you overcome your fears, and you have the power to share. Now, I know some of you are afraid of sharing because, well, what if I say the wrong thing? You know, what if I make God look dumb? I want to tell you, God can handle himself. He works in your ignorance. He is not waiting on your, your life to get to a certain level where you can say, man, I can use that guy now. It's in your weakness that his strength's made perfect. So, so if this is you, I want to say to you, God will give you what you need in the moment to witness and to share. That's good to learn ways to share. That's fine as long as they don't become routines. The main thing I want you to know is you can't share the wrong thing if you're telling what's happened to you. How can that be wrong? I'm telling what God has done for me. I'm witnessing of what he's done in my life. How can you go wrong there? Remember, that's what a witness does. They share what they've experienced. Now, some people at this point say, but I don't have an exciting testimony. That's craziness. Listen, whether you were hooked on drugs and your life was on a path to destruction and God miraculously lifted you from that, or whether you was raised in Sunday school and heard sermons three times a week your entire life, and then all of a sudden you realized your need for Jesus and you cried out for him, it is the power of Jesus that saved you both. So just share what's happened. I don't know how to tell my story. Well, on your notes, I've given you a four-point method. And you might say, okay, here's the routine. No, 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 this is about what God's done in you. Here's what you do. Here's what my life was like before I met Jesus. What was it? It usually goes something like this. My life was empty. I felt like a slave. I was just carrying this weight around. I just, I, I knew what I should do, but there was something inside of me that kept, I felt so so alone I felt like you get the point and then you fill in the details I was just a little kid who wanted everybody's approval and I tried to do it through getting good grades and making my mom and dad happy and becoming a better ball player and I thought that's what was going to make me okay it wasn't until someone told me that only Jesus could make me okay that I realized Man, I'm never going to get out of this. And see, that's step two. I realized I needed Jesus. One Sunday morning, I was sitting in church about on the fourth row. Wasn't quite as cold in there. I wasn't covered up. But I was, I was sitting right there, and I was listening to the story. And all of a sudden, I realized all this stuff I'm chasing after, it's just not doing it for me. And I mean, I'm 13, 12, almost 13. How do you figure that out? Because the Lord does something in your heart. And I just knew I needed him. 
And then, so, I did the craziest thing in the world. I walked forward in church, and I said, I don't know why I'm coming forward, but I feel like there's something missing in my life. So the pastor took me to the Bible, and he taught me about sin, and he told me about Jesus, and he led me to confess my sin and invite Jesus into my heart. And I'd like to say there were bells and whistles and lights went off. I, I didn't have a lot of that, but I want to tell you what I did have. Ever since that day, I knew that I had a good father. I, I, I can honestly say this. I have never doubted the love of God since that day. He proved it to me. I mean, he, he loved me so much that he gave his son. That's all I needed to know. Now, I don't know how you received Jesus. Maybe you prayed a prayer at an altar like me. Maybe you got on your knees at home and just said, God, I don't know how to do this, but Lord, if you're real, would you please come into my life, dear Jesus? Maybe, maybe you were on an airplane and you were stuck there for a while, but then the Holy Spirit started working and, and you listened to the person sitting next to you and you gave your life to Jesus. I, I don't know. I want to tell you, I, I'm not even hung up on the where you give your life to Jesus. Uh, when I was about 16 years old, I just knew I was supposed to witness, and I did. I mean, I was going out, and I was telling people. And I had a friend. His name was John Beard, and he was about 6'2", with broad shoulders, and he was a great football player, went on to play college football. And John, we had invited him. Me and my buddies invited him to go frog gigging. I don't know if y'all know what that is up in Burlington. Okay? I know y'all are city folks here, but... Uh, yeah, Burlington is, is can Burlington really be, really be considered city? It's kind of on the fringe. But we went frog gigging. You know, we had our spears ready to go, our gigs. You know, and and I was in my truck and I told my buddy who was 16 years old in a permit. And I don't advise this. I said, I want you to drive this time because John was riding in the back. Couple reasons: one, I don't think he'd had a bath in four or five days, and two, he. He just, he would rather, he was six foot two riding in a little uh, Chevy Love. You know, you don't want, he, he said, I'll just ride in the back, you know. And so I said, I'm going to ride in the back. And the other two guys sat up front, and I, there in the back between ponds, I told John Beard about Jesus. And when it was time to go frogging, and I said, You ready to go frogging? And he said, Could we stay behind and talk some more? And between ponds, he kneels down beside a Chevy Love truck next to a farm pond with frogs croaking and he offers up a prayer to Jesus and Jesus comes into his life. It doesn't matter where you are. Just tell what happened to you. Just tell what happened to you. And then the key part of your testimony, let me tell you what the real part of your testimony is since Jesus has come into my heart. You know, here's what's happened in my life since I've been following him. You fill in the blank. Now notice the phrase, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. What, what do you know about that phrase? What, what do you know about Jerusalem? Help me out. Or don't. What's that? At temples in Jerusalem? Okay. Anything else? Surrounded by what? Okay. All right. Anything else? Place Jesus died. There's another big part of this I don't want you to miss. When he says you're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, guess where that's at? That's where they're at. That's where they're standing. So the point he's making there is you're to be my witnesses just where you live. Right there. You're to be 
witnesses where you are. Now, that means, I think, we should share with our family. And why wouldn't I want my family to know? I believe that eternal life is found in Jesus. And I believe he's a good father. And I believe he takes care of the missing, lonely, purposelessness of life. We should share them with our friends, with our coworkers, with our classmates. You know, teenagers uh, should hear from their parents about the love of Jesus. Parents should hear from their saved teenagers about the love of Jesus. Now, the tricky part of witnessing where you are is what? People know you. That's, that's what makes it tough. You know, if you live like Mother Teresa all your life, it'd probably be easy. But for those of you, those of us who have not, this is where it gets tricky. Now, here, here's why I want you to take a step toward the Father. The people in your life should see the difference Jesus has made. They should see a changed life. They should see how you handle adversity. They should tell that there's something unique by the way you carry yourself. That's the only way you're really going to pull off witnessing where you are. Because if you're not changed and you try to share, you know what people say you are? A hypocrite. Right? We've heard that many times. I was teaching on evangelism this week in a church, and I had someone tell me, I just don't know anybody in my Jerusalem to share with. And uh, I, I said to them, well, you need to move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm serious. If you don't have people where you are that you can share with, you need to relocate. And this is what Jesus says. All right, be witnesses in Jerusalem. But then he says, then go into all Judea and Samaria. Uh, Truthfully, even if you have plenty of people to share with, you should be thinking more than just Burlington because there's a big, big world that needs Jesus. And this is why Jesus said to be witnesses throughout the world. Again, the end of verse 8 says this. We're to be witnesses here, there, and everywhere. That's, that's what we're supposed to be. Even to the ends of the earth. To, for, to the forgotten portion of Brazil. To tribes in Africa. To the masses of Muslims in the Middle East. We're to work at taking the good news, the good news of peace. To the entire world. That's the purpose of our life. And witnessing of the gospel is a worthy purpose. We should give our lives to this mission. Do you know what the Greek word for do you know what the Greek word for witness is? Martus or martus. We use that for another word. This brings a little more whoo. Wait a minute, Jesus. Here's what Jesus is saying. Sharing of my love is worthy of giving your life for. It's a worthy thing. A worthy cause. If you're a believer here today, tell of what God has done at whatever cost. Even if it means laying down your life. And that may sound extreme, and boy, it does. I get it. Oh, my goodness. It sounds extreme. It does. But it really sounds extreme to people who don't realize what's happened to them. You see, I didn't get a promise of having a better 78.7 years or whatever the average life expectancy is now. 
I got the promise of eternal life with Jesus. And it sounds extreme to those who, who, who had nothing happen to them. But the God of the universe has loved me and he saved my soul from hell. And I deserve to go, guys. You know, we, we don't talk much about hell anymore, but I really believe that I deserved it. I don't know. Yeah, I do know about you. You deserved it too. We all do. Not because we're worse than other people. We deserve it because we're so far short of what God created us to be. The God of the universe says, this is right. And we said, I don't care. The God of the universe says, this is good. And we called it bad. The God of the universe said, this is evil and harmful and selfish. And, and we said, we, we'll do our own thing. And we rejected him. And in spite of that, while we were still sinners, objects of wrath, Christ died for us to prove his love. And he prepared a, a heaven for all eternity. And he rescued me by allowing Jesus to take my life. And the old hymn says, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Now the story continues, and we'll wrap up with this. After he said this, he was taking up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight, and they did exactly what we would do. Listen to what the next verse says. And while he was going up, they went. Because that's what we would do, right? I mean, really, listen, this is kind of... Somebody asked me to explain how this happened. I believe it kind of happened like a beam-me-up Scotty type of moment. You know? And you might say, oh, come on, preacher, that's so fanciful. You can't believe that type stuff. Oh, let me tell you, I believe crazier than that. <laughs> I, I believe that God spoke and made the world. I believe that a virgin had a baby, and I believe a dead man got up out of the tomb. So this is nothing. You know, <laughs> I believe he went up into heaven and was taken by God. And they're looking up into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes appear. And listen to what they say. Catch this. Verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken into heaven right in front of you will come in the same way that you've seen him go. What are you doing here looking up? You got a job to do. And the Bible says he will return and until he comes again we're to be his witness. I want to give you three takeaways today. Two statements, one question. The first is, I believe it is your job to pray for people with whom you can share. God, I want to be a witness. Would you please help me? Take me to some soul today. Number two, I want you to realize that a part of your step forward, whether you're just out of rehab or whether you've been in the pews so long that they've got your permanent imprint, listen, it is your job your calling to share what Jesus has done with you, in you, for you. And then the question I'd like to end with today is simply this. If all you have to do is witness, do you got anything to share? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share of your goodness today. I thank you that you saved me, Lord. Thank you that you delivered me from my own sin and from the destiny that surely awaited me.
Lord, help me tell how good you've been to me, how you've watched over me as I drove, how you've helped me to seek forgiveness when I've wronged people, and you've restored relationships. Lord, how you've given me wisdom, Lord, to, to handle hard situations. How you've walked beside me even when I messed up. Lord, you are good to me. I know you're good to all of us who are your children, Lord. Truthfully, Lord, you're good to every man on this earth. Because you sent Jesus to die. God, I pray that uh, those of us who are saved will share. And Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't have a story, doesn't know you personally, God, will you speak to their hearts and, and save them today? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.